if you think you go on Shark Tank and then the next day you don't have to go to work, it's like you were saying earlier, put your uh, your work boots on and go back. Keep hustling and keep making making the thing uh, go because it's it really doesn't go by itself. Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 69 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I've got Mike Hartwick, co-founder at SearchSetFitness.com, where they sell surf-inspired total botany fitness courses and uh, workout programs. So in this episode, we're going to talk about pre-selling and validating an idea with Groupon and some discounts, uh, having a B2B2C business model with fitness trainers uh, that really market their business to the end customers, and also scaling the business beyond Shark Tank. Uh, they were on season four recently, and I believe they got an investment for Mark Cuban and we'll talk about how the business has grown since then. And so the blog to check out this week is from Peter Shankman. So if you're on the Facebook page, you know uh, I'm here in Bangkok this week at DCBKK 2013. I was just meeting up with other entrepreneurs in the DC space and Peter Shankman just kicked off the event here uh, early in the morning uh, on Saturday here. And so he was talking about how we lost the ability to expect good service in this day and age. And so he really gave four bullet points on how to rise above shit, really just be, you know, somewhat decent at customer service. And so the real four bullet points, uh, he said, one, the transparency, be honest, people want to buy from people they know, like, and trust. Just be a real person online. Uh, two, relevance, you want to look for the language of your customers that they're using. So if you got an online store, uh, you know, most of your customers, are they using Facebook, Twitter? You know, what's, what are the channels that they're hanging out? Are they hanging out in forums? Are there magazines they're reading that might make sense to advertise? And really just get to know them because uh, the language of your customers is what uh, creates a great experience and what is what you should focus and three is brevity. Uh, he says, I think the average attention span now is 2.7 seconds. And that's about somewhere around 140 to 160 words. So basically a tweet or something like SMS messages. So uh, kind of what he says was, you know, always be brief. Uh, don't take up too much time. You know, be a good writer because bad writing can really destroy you. Good writing can save you. And number four, he says, uh, stay on top of mind. You know, he gave examples of how when he was at the Ritz-Carlton and he ran out of toothpaste. And then one of the staff members went out, bought a Crest uh, new toothpaste for him and then he just shared it on his social media and they were actually able to track about 30 to 50k worth of sales back uh, to that picture so uh, kind of little things like these that just you know creates a good experience for the customer is a kind of that what we're all striving for as online store owners too so uh, check out his website uh, shankman.com uh, definitely read his stuff and uh, yeah peter if you're listening to this i'm gonna get you on the podcast one day so all right so with that being said uh, let's just get into this week's episode Welcome to the show, Mike. And so for those of you who may not know who you are, uh, who are you and what do you do? So this is uh, Mike Harwick from Surfset Fitness. And Surfset Fitness is surf-inspired functional fitness. It's really about a, uh, focusing on the core while promoting athleticism and you know a full-body workout. Mm-hmm. So how would you describe this to someone who can't see uh, what you guys do? I know you guys have a special machine. Uh, what's that about? So the we, it's called the Rip Surfer X, and it's a unique piece of equipment because it's all body weight activated. Most people think that it's electronic, but as you shift 
your weight on the, the board itself. So the surfboard atop three inflatable discs. The design of it allows the board to react and you can displace, I guess, the air with no better way to describe it. Uh, the board gives you almost a force back as you push against it. So you're using your, your obliques, your core. Um, the whole workout is done in bare feet. So you'd be surprised how much core flexing that you get from just curling your toes to try and get in a little bit better grip on the board. So it's a lot of those little tiny muscles that we're trying to promote. Proprioception is ultimately the goal here. It's really, it is, it's difficult to, I think, explain without being able to see it. That's for sure. It's, uh, it definitely goes better with a visual. <laughs> and I understand uh, you come from a surfing background too, right? That's kind of how you got started with this idea too? Yeah. So I've been a, you know, a lifelong East Coast surfer, but um, it really started about 18 when my sister moved to California. I pretty much was there, let's say, 18 to 26 without missing a summer. You know, would surf for three or four months and then I would head back to the East Coast and get ready for uh, training camp and hockey and, and college. Once I turned pro after school playing hockey, you know, I spent pretty much April to almost September in California and I just found that the workout that I got surfing was very, very similar to the workout that I had to do for hockey as far as, you know, you really couldn't recreate skating unless you were actually skating. So you really couldn't recreate surfing unless you were on a board going through those movements. That's when it really hit me. It was, you know, I found the core workout, the balance workout, the cardio side of surfing almost could replace the workout that I was doing for hockey. And that's when I knew that there was an unbelievable connection between fitness and surfing. And the bottom line, surfing is just fun. I mean, it's something I love to do. And if I could have more fun working out, um, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. How do hockey guys work? Because I understand, like, football guys, they just get kind of really big. They lift a lot of weights. Is hockey, like, very agility-based, too, like surfing? Or what are the similarities? So there's two thoughts to that. When I was in college, it was very similar to, I think, the football mentality, very similar to CrossFit, um, where you do a lot of Olympic movements. So a lot of powerlifting, squats, cleans, bench, pushing muscles, essentially. You know, I think the, the biggest difference is in college, you play 30 games. Now, when you play pro, you know, suddenly you go from 34 games over the course of six months to something like 90 games in six months. It's just the toll that that takes on your body. You really do need to recoup in the offseason and you need to have just a leaner body mass, a leaner body style to excel in uh, the professional ranks. And that's what I found. I was the best part about surfing was that's the type of body type it promoted. By doing surfing and just going out and surfing in the morning and surfing in the afternoons, you know, I was getting that body type, not even thinking about it. I mean, there was a couple summers where I didn't even skate. And that's usually the biggest fear for hockey players is you don't do anything all summer and suddenly you got to show up at camp and you're going to be in shape or not in shape or you're going to get cut, and not have a job for that year. So I was just always pleasantly surprised to see how good I felt on my skates. That's really where I think the uh, the idea came from. It was, I want that body type, I want that feeling, but I also want to have fun. Gotcha. And so, you know, if we pull back a little bit more, like I noticed like kind of like in the early 2000s, you kind of started having like yoga and all these alternative workouts come up. I mean, do you see that wave is part of what you're writing too? We looked... At the industry, I mean, the, the biggest, I think, most popular thing that has hit surfing has been stand-up paddleboard. I think the most interesting side of that is not only do people just like to you know cruise around the lake, cruise around the ocean, 
but they're doing workouts on these boards. They're doing sup yoga, um, you know, sup Pilates, different mediums that you wouldn't expect to be doing on the water. And really people are just looking at it as, you know, I want to be outside surrounded by nature and get a good workout. And what we want to do is take that momentum, you know, that excitement that you can have working out on a board, an unstable surface, it's a little bit more challenging, you know, and I think that's where, you know, you asked the question that all these different types of workouts and people are open to new things. I think everybody's always looking for something that's going to be a little bit more challenging. Like running on a treadmill, it gets monotonous. You know, yes, you can get in, you can get in shape, but at the, the bottom line, people want to have something that has a different mentality to it. With surf set, you're looking at it, not only are you using, you know, your right side of your brain where you have to, you know, go through these exercises, but you're also using the left side of your brain, which is, all right, I'm working out on a small surface. I've got to stay compact. There's a ton of things to, that you have to overcome to get through this workout. For us, that's what I think makes the workout go by so fast. Like in 45 minutes, I don't even feel like I've really even begun to work out because it just goes that quickly. And, you know, suddenly I find myself and I look down at my heart rate monitor and, you know, I've already burned 700 calories in 40 minutes. It's, it's hard to realize that this is really working out. Yeah. And I realize like one thing like these hardcore body weight things do is that, you know, you use these little muscles like your hip flexors or things that like you never really use when you're just doing like a clean or like a bench press too. For anybody, the biggest thing they realize is once they start participating in any type of active lifestyle, whether it's, you know, if you become a triathlete or even with these tough tough mutter runs, you suddenly realize that core is probably the most important thing that you have going. You know, your arms can get tired, your legs can get, get tired, but once your core goes, you really start to fail. You really can't keep up at the pace that you were originally going. So I think with what we're after, you know, the small, quick muscles, you know, it's not about building bulk, but it's more about building those muscles so you can pretty much participate in anything. I mean, we surf, but it's also, we ran a triathlon a couple of weeks ago. We run marathons, we cross country ski, you know, we telemark ski. So it's, it's more training for, you know, life as far as, you know, oh, this weekend I want to go hiking. It's not like I had to go through three weeks of high intensity training to get ready for that hike. It was just surf set because it's unstable surfaces, it's interval training. It really just prepares your body to be able to participate in almost any activity that you really want to do. I think it's a lot more fun than what's the standard, like what Mondays, what chest and triceps, <laughs> and then yeah. Tuesdays legs, and you're like, I just want to shoot myself if I do this workout again. Exactly. You know, I think the, the bodybuilding mentality where it's like, well, I'm going to work on this section of my body, and then I'm going to take a day off, and then I'm going to do this section. You know, I would rather just do three days where I get a full body workout and I feel good and I'm ready to go, you know? You know, you come from a surfing background in hockey. Like, how did you even design this product? Because it looks really advanced in terms of, like, how it's set up and built. It's kind of a long story. You know, this is pretty much version 3.0. We started out with the company was we needed a prototype to be able to run classes, to test the workout. Because the equipment one part of the company. The workout is, you know, the second part. If we just sold the piece of equipment, I don't think it would come to life as much as it does for most people. You really do need a prescribed workout that's going to say, okay, we're going to do 10 reps here, 12 reps here, and then we're going to move into the next exercise. That's really where we were focusing on. We weren't really manufacturing at that point, although we did sell a few of our, uh, our homemade 
prototypes, but it, it looked like a, for no better uh, example, an ironing board on steroids. We had these pulleys in front, and so you could paddle the board. The board movement was very, very similar, but it wasn't until you know we looked at it and we said, how can we replicate this faster? Almost that uh, mentality that if we we're ever going to be able to sell this, we needed to produce this in a half an hour versus six hours to produce one. The initial idea started with uh, just a one of my old surfboards on top of a uh, an inner tube, and we tied a pulley to the wall. Used a uh, like a theraband, you know, the uh, stretch bands. From there, it grew into you know we didn't like the motion because it, the single bladder didn't really react the way that a you know, surfboard would on water. So you know we evolved from two inner tubes to three inner tubes, and then suddenly said you know maybe this will work better on like a basketball. So we tried basketballs. It came back to trial and error, trial and error. And then finally, we came to this idea where the most universal piece of fitness equipment out there is the step. You're familiar with like step aerobics, right? A little okay, bit. Okay. So, you know, that's with jazzercise, with like the leotards. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you can put it in the box and you can stack it up. You know, so we ultimately looked at that and said, we need this to be comparable, you know, as far as the size of the equipment and... You know, that's when we literally said, okay, we can make it so it's like the step and we can put our board on top. And the movement really, like I said, was just trial and error, putting points of um, straps on different angles and until we were comfortable or happy with, with the performance of it. So it's still ongoing. It was two years of just back and forth with, you know, one engineer. And then finally, we just said, we can do this. And we did it all in one night, came up with the CAD, and now you see it. Gotcha. So you spent two years on the first prototype. Is that correct? The first prototype was three and a half months, but two years is, is what it's been since we actually started to what we're producing now. So it took us a year and a half to get the product to where it is actually turnkey. We turn on the machine, it produces all the materials are a go, you know, and there's no real question. And so how did you go from the first prototype to say, you know, to kind of like the MVP? Did you like show people the first prototype or how did you kind of scale from there? Uh, so the, the hardest thing I think about coming up with or even starting the company was we really brought a product or an idea and sold that to a, a daily deal site. So, you know, like Groupon, Living Social, you know, where you can go on and buy coupons essentially to get deals on different, uh, you know, products, food deals, movie deals kind of thing. Yeah, it's like 20, 30% off for like one or two days only. Right? Yeah, exactly. So we took our entire concept before we even had one and started selling classes. And what we did from there was once we found out that the concept was, you know, people liked it, we had went out and built these, we built 12 prototypes and then brought those to New York. And all the while, we were working on perfecting the design so that it was, you know, before we ever got into selling these, you know, there was never going to be any holdups on material issues or the durability of the board. I mean, we built them so they're, they're virtually bulletproof. They're weight tested to 550 pounds. The materials, you know, are anti-slip, antibacterial. You know, it's soft enough. I mean, the mats itself took four months for us to get the right material. Um, so it's just, it's amazing that you think that all these simple parts of the, uh, the puzzle would go together so quickly, but it, it, is, it is an ongoing process, um, you know, that we just did while we were, you know, running classes in New York and, and really getting the concept out there. And I think to that point, the hardest part about it was we were doing this in front of, you know, a national audience. We had, we had gone on 
Good Morning America. We had been on uh, Martha Stewart. You know, just we'd had a lot of access to all of this media. And we were trying to keep up with, I think, the demand and making sure that before we sold this product, it was good to go. And this was pre-Shark Tank. Right? Yeah. So this was all pre-Shark Tank. We caught, uh, we caught a bit of a, a following in New York and just had a crazy ride, you know, really. And then Shark Tank was icing on the cake. Really. Yeah. So for like the classes you guys sold, was the process like, hey, we'll sign up 20 people for, say, $40 uh, like two months later or how, like, how did that kind of work? Yeah. So we said, you know, we're going to, our initial plan was we were going to go to nine cities and we were going to run classes. And this was before we were going to commit to getting an investor or looking for investable dollars because we wanted to prove out the business model before we even went into production. Because I think the biggest thing that we saw was we could create this great piece of equipment, but if nobody likes it, well, then the business is sunk. So we would rather know ahead of time than, you know, after the fact about what the take up was on this class. So we, we found that, you know, nine cities we were going to do, I believe it was Boston, New York, Chicago, DC, I think Dallas, Miami, LA. But I think the point is that if these big cities that are kind of more forward thinking can adopt it, I mean, how, how are you going to go to like Kansas and someone's going to start doing this? I mean, <laughs> well, I think, I think that's how we saw it was, you know, we needed to see, you know, if there was take up in those, those big cities, chances are people in other locations will start to hear about it. You know, and I think it's that, like you said, that word of mouth, the best way to really, I think, sell the whole product. So, you know, we, we committed to, you know, Boston, then did New York, and we were only supposed to be in each city for two weeks. We were offering classes for two weeks, five classes a day. It, it just kind of took on a life of its own in New York. We started getting media opportunities, and then we started offering more classes. Then it got to the point where we were running our own studio. And then it was the next step was, all right, we need to go and figure out how we can bring this into a larger concept as far as getting this into other gyms and, and locations. And I remember I was watching your Shark Tank. I think you said you guys had like 150K in sales. Is this what you guys got before? Like this was like the Groupon type sales? or? Uh, yeah. So that was the, the Groupon sales was sort of our marketing tool. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't, Mar it wasn't Groupon that we used, but, uh, you know, we used it for a pre-sale again to, you know, gauge the interest to see, you know, where this was going. And then we decided after that we were going to offer another four weeks. And then it got to the point where we were offering eight weeks of classes. The sales that we generated over was just over $225,000 in about four and a half months. Gotcha. And this was before you guys went into like large production of the boards too, right? Right. Yeah. Now we, uh, it was, we had two people who were working in New York running classes and then we had one of our founders or co-founders build into was actually building these boards by hand because there was such a demand to have these, you know, as home units for people to paddle on and get a workout with. And so, you know, we didn't want to turn down that side of the business until we knew what direction we were going to head as far as production or it was going to be classes in a studio. So, you know, I think it's, you start off with a great big concept and then you refine, 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 refine until you get into exactly what you do on a daily basis. And I know that when you guys decided on, say, the tour, there must have been some fear that like, hey, this might not work, right? And kind of was it interesting looking back that, you know, it totally went the opposite way uh, with the first city in New York? Here's the uh, the thing that most of, uh, most of the founders laugh about. I know I've, I've got to laugh at myself now for it, but when I was playing hockey, I went over to Europe and I did my MBA. Yeah, in business school, they teach you all the, the business practices of like a mature business, right? On, you know, how to 
make right decisions, you know, don't jump into uncertain territories and, you know, you always got to know the outcome or at least the, the expectation of the outcome. It was almost paralyzing to have that mentality. Yeah, like your Six Sigma, Porter's Five Forces, all that textbook stuff. And- it, oh yeah, exactly. You're putting together a case study here and you're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this and the outcome is going to be X, Y, Z. And with doing what we did, you know, Bill and Sarah, my other two co-founders, they were saying, we have to go prove this and just do it. And, you know, I was sitting there being like, well, what are, what are the, uh, you know, the factors that support this reason to go do this? You know, do we need more money? Do we need, you know, and it was just all this stuff. And until we started moving forward and gaining momentum that all that other stuff that you know, they teach in business school kind of came into uh, the picture. So, you know, I almost felt like I was at a disadvantage versus Bill and Sarah who were, we've got to go forward, we've got to go forward and keep doing this because I think if you wait for the optimal time, you'll never act, you'll never take action. And there never is a right time too. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's the biggest thing that, uh, <laughs> that I've realized. You know, you almost make the right time most of the, in most of the situations. And it's interesting you bring up education because one thing I've realized is that kind of like in school, you realize when you grow up, you know, you get grades but you're rewarded for not making mistakes right and you're you're trying to not be risky kind of growing up in this paradigm and then it's like when you get to go to business school you learn all these concepts case studies but then you know when you start out from the beginning it's like it's completely you throw it out the window and that i think you know for for me when i we started the process we were like okay you know like in business school we're going to make a business plan and we're going to the minute we wrote the business plan it was at a at a date you know it would just it wasn't even worth looking at. It's more something I think is a formality that you have to provide to bankers and investors and say like, okay, we've thought through this. But you know, the great companies, I mean, Instagram didn't even have a business plan. They just needed to go and create and move forward and innovate. It's, I think it's one of those things. As long as you have a process to make decisions, that's really better than a business plan. Because if you follow a business plan from start to finish, it's usually going to lead you astray. You know, you have to react as things change. I mean, we we changed directions five times by the time we got to New York and by the time we left. It was always constantly evolving and going in new new directions. Yeah. It's like I have a friend that says, you know, uh, if you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. What you have is a hobby, right? So. Right. It, I mean, it is the customer is 100% who you have to find first. That's what we needed to, I think, prove out. And that's why we went the way we did is we needed to find who our customer was and if it was the customer was just the person who took classes or was the customer the person who you know ran a gym and what we've really found now is it's it's a nice cross between personal trainers who want to run classes to gym owners and now even people who are outside of fitness who want to open their own studio who are really you know interested in the concept and like what uh, you know we really sell so i think that's that's a really really strong point i mean you really do need to find who your customer is and identify them and be able to know everything you possibly can about them. Yeah. And demographic wise, you know, just guessing, is it kind of like your late twenties, maybe, you know, mid thirties type of person that's into working out and willing to try something new or am I, am I wrong here? It's, it's pretty much across the, the spectrum. You, we have 18 to like 75. I mean, our oldest surf setter is 96 in, in Australia. You know, she has her own board, and logs on to the, uh, the network and does all our workouts at home. And, you know, we're sitting here and we're thinking 96 years old. I, all I can picture is the person with I've fallen and broken my hip. You know, we're, we're definitely shocked at that. But I would definitely say our target range 
is yeah that 25 to like 45. And so I understand the way it works is that you can buy the board you can use that at home or you can go to classes and get training there too right? We weren't sure if we were going to go totally b2b sales and focus just on getting this into gyms and you know with going on Shark Tank it's obviously you know a very consumer driven show there's you know I don't know what the exact numbers are for other episodes, but there's a high number of just consumers who log onto a website and purchase boards. So we didn't want to not sell to consumers. So we went ahead and created an entire consumer network as well as a commercial network for people to use. And believe it or not, what we found now is a lot of the consumers were, were in fact personal trainers who bought boards, have now brought them, you know, since brought them into gyms. You know, in you know an ab area where they where they do exercises and different uh, stretches, and finding out that our boards are in more gyms than than we uh, originally anticipated. Yeah. Which is interesting because when a trainer signs up, they're really doing advertising for you when they bring it to their clients and kind of go around the city too. Whereas, kind of like acquiring, I guess like a B two B B two C model where you know like a finding a trainer is much more easier to identify than say a random consumer online trying to look for stuff. Right. And that's, you know, that, that are, those are the people that we have focused on from, from day one. It's been the trainers because they do have the personal relationships. They have the followings. They have, you know, we wanted to use it as a tool that they can put into, you know, their quiver, quote unquote, show a different way to work out, focus on, you know, stability training, you know, core training, you know, all those things that, you know, everybody's interested in and also give them a little bit of a spin. It's not just a piece of equipment that looks sort of like a medieval torture device. You know, I mean, all this stuff that you see that are tools, you know, like kettlebells, I mean, it looks like you're ready to go in battle. This is a little bit more inviting and, you know, people, I think, take a little bit more of a lighthearted uh, mentality to go work out on a surfboard. You just lose lose that seriousness or that uh, begrudgedness, I guess. Yeah, and I think trainers, they can say, hey, you know, I got this new thing, come try it out. And then people that go out, they can be like, hey, have you heard of John? You know, the trainer, he has this cool new kind of surfboard thing. You know, let's go sign up for a class. We've been shocked at just the, I guess, the ripple effect as far as how how well that has gone. It's pretty much almost every day now that a new location or a new trainer has a board and is on TV. I mean, we've been on so much local media. We reap the benefits because this trainer goes out, media finds out about it. They want to cover the story. And from there, you know, he gets tons of clients and then we get people who are interested. So like you said earlier, you know, they've been unbelievable, you know, ambassadors of the brand, being able to, to bring it forward. I mean, they're helping themselves, they're helping their own business. And then they're also, you know, at the end of the day, they're helping Surfset get out there further, you know, and establish a brand. Truly is like a win-win-win for everyone, literally. Right, because I think the uh, you could talk about the fitness benefits and, you know, there's so many fitness products out there, you know, whether it's, you know, a spin bike or a treadmill or a BOSU ball or whatever it is, they're all going to give you a workout. If people just cling to something because, you know, whether they want to be a surfer or they like surfing or it's just the fun workout that they have doing it, you know, that's really what it comes down to. Because it's got to be, okay, I like this. This is what I, I want to do. Yeah, it's kind of like a, you can't just say, oh, here's how you use this and the benefits. Like, you still need to sell people on something else. Exactly. You know, there's got to be more than just, this is going to get you in shape. Why, you know, why is it going to get in shape? And, and, you know, what's the intangible factor 
what you have there. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Like, you think about it, like, 10, 20 years ago, you just had these infomercials with these, like, silly ab rollers, and then it would sell, like, gangbusters. But now, you know, stuff like that isn't working. People are a lot, I guess, more conscious. It's interesting. To be now in the industry for a couple of years, I don't think those things are ever going away. You know, you look at, like, the, uh, the shock belts for your, your stomach or even, like, the shake weight. There's definitely things that are out there, and people will buy them because they're on TV. But at the same time, you know, you do, like you said, you know, you have to identify your customer, you know, for the product that we offer, they're not just going to, you know, throw down $550 without the expectation that it's going to have something, you know, when you buy one of those other products, they feel like they're not really thinking this is going to change my life, you know, for three easy payments of twenty nine ninety nine plus shipping and handling. You know? And I don't think anyone would really buy something 500 bucks like a surfboard on an infomercial either too. Right. right. So. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely a niche space within the fitness industry that we're, you know, looking to, you know, make bigger and get more people interested in it because the nice, and I don't know if this is one of your questions, but the, uh, the most recent thing we've done was we actually had a editor from Vogue take classes. Um, she'd never surfed before. And then go and try and learn how to surf. And it was like a huge success. She caught her first wave like five minutes into the surf lesson with her surf instructor. Um, and she had taken a whole month of classes prior to that. That to us is you know, what it really is about. I mean, that's when we got started in New York. It was something like 70% of the people that were taking our uh, boot camp, it was an eight-week boot camp, were going to either Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, or some exotic place to go surfing for you know, a February break. When they came back and they said, we had an unbelievable experience. We all got up on waves. You know, it's just, it, even if that just bridges the gap and gets people into surfing, you know, we feel like we've really accomplished something. As a surfer, I know there's nothing that compares to that feeling like catching a wave. Right? I always compare it to how quiet it is. You know, you just think about if you're being propelled forward, you always, there's either like a motor or, you know, it just, it is very, you're very connected to nature you know you're connected to the ocean it's it's just a fiberglass board that you paddle into self-propelled you stand up and it is just the most unbelievable feeling i mean it keeps a smile on my face for days at a time feel that uh that propulsion forward you know you're just like wow this is pretty incredible gotcha all right and so let's move on with the story a little bit so you know how did you guys go from pre-sales and you know running all these workshops in new york to shark tank so we when we got into um starting the company you know, I think like most entrepreneurs, they've seen Shark Tank or they've caught, you know, the basic premise of it. And it always goes back to, you know, if you're pitching your idea and we had pitched Surfset probably a handful of times to other investors and VC firms prior to going on the show. You always look at it and you say, you know, what would you do on, on, in that situation? You know, is that a good deal? Is it a bad deal? You always try and I think uh, trade places with the person you see on TV. When we were developing the concepts, Sarah actually filled out an application day one and just said, you know, I think this would be something that uh, Shark Tank would really, really um, enjoy to have on the show. Is this for season four or three? This was for season three because we started in um, August of 2011. And so, yeah, so they had just wrapped season three in, in August. So they sent back, you know, a reply and said, hey, you know, we're uh, sorry that, you know, we wrapped this season, but we, we encourage you to you know, fill out another application next year. Got really busy with growing the business and didn't think anything of it until February 2012. We got an email from one of the producers and said, you know, would please submit another application. So, you know, we did. And again, got real busy and didn't think anything of it. And then 
May came along and, you know, they said, all right, yeah, we've, we've selected you as a semifinalist. You know, we want to go forward on this. Please, you know, do a video and supply a video and you do all this, uh, the questions and you, why you should be on the show. And then, you know, one step forward and then, you know, they were saying, okay, you guys have been selected. We want to bring you out. It was really kind of a crazy experience because we weren't really thinking about it all that much and it just kept happening. You know, so it was almost uh, you know out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And suddenly, it's like, whoa! I'm actually going to LA to a studio to fix my business, right? Well, that's kind of like- <laughs> and, and, and that's that was the whole thing because you have to, you know, there is some acting involved. Sarah and I are terrible actors. You know, we can do the TV thing, but we can't give an artificial, you know, pitch. It's it's really got to be from the heart. So you know, suddenly, like the day before we were supposed to fly out there, it kind of hit home that. We needed to get our, you know, our pitch together and what we were going to say because everything we've done, you know, with as far as like talking to investors, it's a sit-down conversation. You show the board, you show them what it's about, and you know, you have a little bit back and forth. This is a totally different type of pitch. You know, there's a lot more speaking on our end, and then you know, the people shoot holes in it. Investors typically don't do that, so we were. We were definitely nervous going into it. Yeah, so you guys got contacted in February. You guys applied in like May, or when did you guys actually fly out to LA to record the episode? Uh, so every, yeah, everything kind of gets shot usually over the summer. I know that I think they've added now double the episodes for next year. So they, they might they might be filming through September or October. Who knows? But I know you know for us, yeah, it was was like July, beginning of July, that the process started. Yeah. And so I've talked to a couple of storeners. They say, you know, when they make you walk through that hallway, they try to make it like really intense. Like, is that what you got to? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's reality television, right? They want emotion. They want people, they want people to be real. So they definitely play with you a little bit as far as psyching you out, get there. And it's hard not to be nervous. There's no takes. There's no like walkthroughs. There's no like this is going to happen and this is going to happen and then we're going to break. You get into the room, you pitch your business for whatever. It could be an hour, it could be two hours. I mean, the sharks are great because they'll ask you a question and then a half an hour will go by and they'll come back and ask you the same question and ask you why the numbers are different or why your answer was different. That we were very, very careful to be able to make sure that our numbers were solid, our absolute, you know, we knew the facts. And it turns out, I mean, you know, you know your business. If you're an entrepreneur, and you've kind of been living your business for any amount of time, three months, six months, a year, whatever it is, you really do know it better than anybody else. So we were pretty confident with our with our answers and you know, fortunately we had a great experience with it. Like how long were you guys in the tank for? I wanna say it was about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. And I understand they kind of cut it down to like 10, 15 minutes, right? Cause I remember like in the video, I think like Robert came in first and then there was all this weird stuff and then suddenly Mark threw a deal like. For, for Sarah and I, we, it's sort of like a, all we remember is seeing white, you know, we don't even really remember all the time. And we were like, did that happen in this, that sequence? And, you know, we'll never, we'll never really know now that uh, <laughs> they cut it up and showed it on national television. So it's like a surgery when you go in, you remember going in, then you just wake up when you come out and you're like, Oh, <laughs> right, exactly. What happened? It was definitely hard decisions, you know, but I think for us, it was, it was definitely a solid decision to go with Mark. He's been a huge, huge help. Really understands, I think, business. Looking at it from 30,000 feet, he knows how to make money. There's no question about that, but uh, he asks the right questions that get us thinking about, you know, I think the nitty-gritty and make sure that you know, we're focusing on, you know, the industry and how the whole business comes together. 
he just wants to make sure things are running smoothly and that we're you know we're always thinking about what's next and so i understand when you go into shark tank you have to tell them like the initial deal you want to go for right and you know was it kind of like what you expected like negotiating on the spot or i think you you tell the producers like that's part of your application there's no information shared the sharks don't know us from you know anyone else they don't know they don't get a, like a, a one sheet on the business they don't whatever you say at that time is what in fact they're going on what their decisions are based on so at that point then you know, after the show, the due diligence really starts. They want to make sure your numbers are real. They want to make sure you just don't shake their hand and they write your check on the spot. They they go through the whole process and, you know, vet your uh, your business and, you know, the things you say, your contacts, your your potential deals, all that stuff has to be validated. Yeah. Like I had a, I talked to someone who was on season three and he was saying, uh, you know, they got to deal with Barbara on the show, but afterwards they actually didn't sign because they really didn't need her money anymore, which is kind of funny that they grew so fast that they're like, hey, you know, maybe we should just you know just keep in touch, but, you know, we'll go our separate ways. So it's kind of interesting how I think a lot of people think, hey, you shake the hands and then boom, you have, you know, 300K in your bank the next day, which it just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's the, uh, it is an unbelievable spot. You know, I mean, it's, what would any other business, you know, or entrepreneur want, you know, than like $15 million worth of national media exposure. If your business is primed to handle it, it, it can be the best thing in the world. Now, if you're not in a position to handle it, I understand it is very, very taxing because you can't keep up with orders, you know, and you almost get so overwhelmed that the business grows out of your control and it's like, okay, you know, we didn't have the infrastructure in place or, it could be a blessing and I think a curse at the same time. Yeah, even for people that don't get deals, some of them just for the exposure, they end up doing well, which is kind of interesting. Absolutely. You know, I think a lot of the people we've stayed in touch with and, you know, we've actually been put in touch with a couple of people that Mark had deals with and you really do benefit from the exposure. You know, there's no, there's no question about it, even if it's a negative, even if it's a negative. I mean, some of the, the shows that I've seen, you know, guys got laughed off the stage, but then very very nice business yeah, exactly like I don't know, you can you never see where these things go too which is really interesting when you talk to people about their story right you know you sort of just jump into it and say all right we're here let's give it a shot yeah. all right and so let's move on past shark tank a little bit so uh, i understand you know until shark tank airs you can't tell people you're on the show right uh well yeah the uh the biggest thing is they don't want any of the information about the show getting out because you know it, it kind of would kill the the suspense of things, I guess. Right. And so after the show, kind of what happened with the business? Did it suddenly grow like, you know, five, six times overnight? Because some people say, you know, you get this big press, you get on TechCrunch or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, you know, Good Morning America. And sometimes it's a big hit, but most of the time it's just kind of like a dud. But what was your experience uh, after Shark Tank? Uh, you know, because we had some media before, but I mean, we've kind of grown every step of the way. So I mean, with every little piece of media has kind of get it, gotten us out there further, you know, and I think it's it's the part that you know, we're selling we're selling to a customer and then we're also selling to, you know, a gym owner at the same time. So, you know, for us, we want to put this in, you know, as many gym locations, as many studio locations as possible. So the gym owner has to see the value in spending the money for it. But then, you know, the customer that we've, we've attracted so many people through, you know, social media and TV experiences, they're almost pulling the equipment through, um, the supply chain, you know, they're going to their gym owners and saying, Hey, I really, really want this. This is, we need to get this, you know, and the same thing with trainers, the whole shark tank experience. I mean, it, it really gave us our, our, 
our foothold. You know, that gave us 30 studios, you know, right off the hop. You know, we did 30 cities right after the show on the tour bus and did certifications. And of those 30 studios, excuse me, 30 stops that we made on this tour, you know, we set up 29 studios. Wow, must be so tiring to go to 30 uh, cities. So yeah, it was, it was taxing. <laughs> First, uh, so that was October to almost middle of December, you know, that we were on the road. And that was, you know, it was a great experience. You know, we learned a ton, saw the country that, you know, in the, the little time that we had off, we saw the country. But, uh, you know, it was a very, very good experience and it helped redefine the customer that we were going after, you know, and really get that hands-on experience. Gotcha. And just out of like kind of a general breakdown, are like most of your sales coming from gym owners or like uh, like regular customers? Are it kind of like 50-50 or 80-20 or what's the split look like? So we're like 40-60. Yeah, so 40% are consumers and then 60% are B2B, gym sales, gotcha. studio sales. Gotcha. And so, uh, you know, from some marketing, what's working really well for you guys right now? Is it a lot of social media or like the gym owners are really making the spearhead uh, efforts for you guys? The social media, obviously, the, the marketing side of it is, is something, you know, we're trying to help our locations with, you know, going on TV, like we just did the uh, the Chris Jenner show a couple weeks ago. We've got a couple more media appearances that come up and do some fitness segments. We've got some stuff going on with Under Armour. That's really helped us kind of, I think, get the awareness out there. But I think on the other side of it, the big responsibility that we have is the programming and the training. So, you know, we have to update the class content every eight weeks. Uh, you get refresh classes. We have four different styles of class. That's a big part of it. And then it's also just, I think, making sure that people are running the class as well. The experience that we're trying to create with Surfset, the brand, is being provided to you know customers of, of other locations. Do you guys need to do paid advertising or is it kind of growing organically that you don't really need to invest money that way? So we Yeah, we don't have an advertising budget. Facebook and social media, that's... That's really been our, I think, what we've found to be the best way forward. We've gone and done some trade shows just because the industry is not broken. It's, it really is. You know, People need to see the product, touch it, feel it, and experience it before they're going to buy it. So we do need to be out there in the public eye and make sure that people see it. And you know, a lot of the opportunities that we've been lucky enough to get have come from larger brands. Like We've done stuff with Subway. We've got a great partnership with Under Armour. A lot of sponsorships for our, our our tour that we had, you know, for 30 cities. And so a lot of that stuff has, has almost allowed us to trump having to go traditional advertising, I guess. Even like online, like a lot of stores I talk to, they say, oh, we need to write blogs, we need to make YouTube videos. Whereas kind of you guys just really need to pound the pavement and show people how this works. Because no one's really Googling like what, like the RSX, right? Because no one really knows what it is until you kind of see it. Too. Right. And that's, you know, I think the, um, you know, we've worked with a ton of, you know, fitness editors and uh, fitness bloggers. That's been, I think, our biz- biggest success. And also just people tweeting out about their experiences at classes and studios. And, you know, when people open up just standalone surf set studios, you know, the experience is really enhanced. So, you know, you've got videos, you've got palm trees. So it's not like you're just going into a stale gym. You're really going into an experience. And that's, you know, I think people will pay for that extra experience. Yeah. And I think there was an author, I forgot who, that was saying, you know, the biggest challenge now is building a business that can get referred. And I think you guys have really nailed it, uh, you know, from the whole story. So, you know, and I'm sure there's always some challenges too, you know, going forward. So what do you think is the biggest one you guys are facing uh, right now? The manufacturing is, is a huge challenge for us as far as, you know, not being a huge company. The problem that we run into is we're only as good as the manufacturer that we hired. If orders are delayed or anything like that, 
that reflects poorly on us. I think overcoming some of the, the manufacturing challenges has been our biggest focus. But then, you know, again, it's it's getting people and the locations to understand because every place we've started is, you know, it's like, okay, we want to try this in one and see how it goes. Unfortunately, 90% of those one location places have come back and opened multiple locations. You know, it's like that type of success, you know, it was the same thing with Crunch. They started off with one, now they have five. You know, so it's just like, it is a slow grow industry and people, you know, it takes time for things to catch on and for people to understand what you do with it. And I think the biggest thing will be, you know, in the future is also just making it relevant for trainers. You know, trainers need to know how to, how to use the board to provide an effective workout. Yeah, understood, understood. And so, you know, what's one thing you wish you knew uh, starting out? Um, one thing, I don't know, probably 90% of the things I worried about didn't even happen or come true. That was the biggest thing. All these things that we feared or thought were going to happen, they never really came to fruition. They weren't, or they weren't as big and bad as we thought they were. So I wish we had more experience, you know, going into it. And we would have let a lot more brush off our shoulders. <laughs> but I guess it's nice that, you know, you didn't have that experience. Otherwise, you may have realized that, wow, this is a lot of work and I might not want to do it, right? Like the ignorance is bliss kind of concept. Yeah, I suppose. I think, you know, the, the, the nice thing about our crew is we've got an unbelievably hardworking team and you know we're willing to do pretty ridiculous things to make the company successful and that's with some of the roadblocks we hit early on you know that's the stuff that made the company go you know and has led us down this road it, you know it hasn't been paved with uh with gold for us you know we've had to really work at it make some sacrifices along the way to, to really get this to be um, you know, a sustainable business yeah and how big is your team now uh so we have six employees right now and so there's three of us and then three employees. So we have two sales guys and then we have uh, like a bookkeeper admin. Yeah. And, and I understand so, uh, the boss is actually Ham, right? Not you. Ham is the boss. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, fortunately, he sleeps pretty much all working hours and then wakes up uh, from six to six to ten. So he's a piece of work, but he, you know, he keeps the uh, the mood light, and it's it's pretty much right up there with uh, the kind of mentality that we've had all along. So he. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, Ham is uh, your dog, so they might not wondering who we're talking about. Uh, yeah, he's an English bulldog, and uh, you know, when the company didn't have a uh, a dime to its name, we decided it would be a, a good opportunity to get a mascot. So, you know, Ham uh, Ham came in in our our down days in New York City. So yeah, and are you able to surf one now, or is the RSX going to have to do for you while you guys are building the business? You know, it's uh, I think our goal for. 2014 is going to be to, to get away on a trip and get some surf again. I think uh, I'm not sure if it'll be Puerto Rico or Costa Rica or something like that, but I, I do think we want to get down and, and do uh, at least three or four days and get some surfing in because we surf here and there. Um, you know, we do some surfing up on the lake as well, but it, it's not, you know, it's just, it's definitely not the same as going out and, uh, being in the ocean and everything. So. You know, just to give people an idea of how big the business is, I, I read somewhere you guys are like at like a couple million now or like is it, can you just give us a number or an idea? Or? Yeah, we're, I mean, right now we're uh, we're on track to, uh, to kind of hit our numbers for our target. So, you know, we're right up there around, I'll say somewhere in the ballpark at 3 million. Nice, nice. Congrats. Well, a lot of hard work to uh, that was put in and a lot more hard work to go too. Right? No, definitely. I mean, it's, if you think you go on Shark Tank and then the next day you don't have to go to work, it's like you were saying earlier, you know, you got to put your uh, your work boots on and go back and just keep hustling and keep making 
making the thing uh, go because it's it really doesn't go by itself. You know, as great as you know all the sharks are and you know all of their uh, connections and things like that, it's it's ultimately the entrepreneurs who are driving the business. You know, you've got to be the one willing to uh, put in the hours. Yeah, it's like the what it's like what they say process versus event, right? Like the process was two years ago prototyping this, working on it every day, going to different cities, getting the word out. And whereas Shark Tank is the event where you know you don't see the past two years and kind of. Uh, What's missed? Right. Everybody kind of looks and says, oh, my God, you know, that's that's unbelievable. But it was like, well, you know, we slept in our studio a couple nights and, you know, we didn't have a place to stay. You know, so it's just there's stuff that you got to go through to really, I think, understand that's entrepreneurship, you know, just the willingness to do anything to succeed. Awesome. All right. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us. And thank you, Mike, for joining us on the show. You guys can find out more about Mike and Surfset at surfsetfitness.com. And uh, Mike, you know, for people who want to get in touch with you guys, you know, what's the best way just to not leave it out? Um, so, I mean, we're, we're on Twitter. It's just Surfset Fitness. You know, for us, hey at Surfset Fitness is great or Mike, Bill or Sarah at Surfset Fitness. Those are our emails. We're pretty much responding to those 24 hours a day these, these days. But, uh, you know, be more than happy to catch up with anybody and answer any questions. Yeah. And if we want to find a class, so what's the best way to find one locally? Uh, so if you go online, the all the studios that offer, studios and, and gyms that offer classes, you just type in your area code and you'll be able to find uh, the closest closest proximity to a, to a class for you. Awesome. Yeah, I see featured studios over here at surfsetfitness.com. All right, well, everyone, uh, you guys check them out, uh, surfsetfitness.com. Otherwise, uh, Mike, thanks for being on the show, and uh, we'll catch up later. Absolutely. Thanks, Derek. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.